over the last couple of weeks, when I've been speaking, we've been speaking about purpose. Remember that? We've been talking about understanding our purpose. And um, this has been one of those seasons, just a short time, and when the Lord laid that on my heart, my response to the Lord was, are you sure? You ever have those conversations with God? He tells you to do something, you ask him if he's sure. Well, it was that kind of conversation I had with God. And I said, are you sure this is what we need to be doing right now at this point and this time in our history that we need to be identifying purpose within our own life? And, and I trust that, that that is ministering to you. But I discovered last weekend when Larry was here that God's never wrong. Because when Larry got up and ministered, he said, I had a total different plan in mind, but the Lord told me to talk to you about when he called me into ministry and about when he called me into the mission field. And he gave his testimony. I've never seen Larry do that before ever in the history of Larry. I've never seen Larry, even heard Larry talk about it. What I knew of that testimony, I knew because of things that... uh, Uh, Pastor Rogers told me, and things that I learned from uh, sources around Larry. But Larry shared how God called him into ministry, how he identified that the voice of the Lord was speaking to him about his purpose. And I understand that God is speaking to us about purpose. Well, I discovered something because... In a few weeks, I'm going to be talking to you about what the church needs to be in the 21st century and in the culture that we're currently living in, what what we need to be, who we need to be as a church. But do you understand that we cannot be who we need to be as a church if you and I as individuals have not discovered who we need to be in God? So God doesn't miss a step. We do sometimes, but he doesn't. I want to um, read this familiar passage of scripture to to you and with you, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, the verse 16 verses. I'm going to read them uh, or a portion of them. And uh, then I want to, it's a familiar passage of scripture for me. Ephesians is one of my favorite areas of of study. And, uh, and we've talked about this particular passage before, but I want to see if, if out of it we can draw some things that perhaps we haven't looked at uh, quite from this vantage point, the, the vantage point of purpose, all right? Um, if you would like to listen to the podcast, they're about every other Sunday for the last few weeks because we have today, last week, then Larry ministered. You should listen to that. The week before I ministered, the week before that, and ministered because I was in Salem. And then it was, I think, the week before that that we started. So about every other week for the last few weeks, you can go find them. They're there. Uh, if they're not, they will be uh, in short order. All right. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience Bearing with one another in love. I love that the scripture tells us to put up with one another. Not just put up with one another, but put up with one another in love. He commands us to love people we don't like. Oh, Lord, I don't want to go down that road. Anyway, that's a whole different subject for another day, but it, it just bears pointing out. Bear with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then I want us to go down to verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, 
when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, so ordinarily when someone's teaching on this passage of scripture, they're talking about unity within the body of Christ, and they're talking about how we, as members of the body of Christ in particular, our joints that supply and all of that's in that passage. We just read it. But I want to talk to you about the fact that we are called. The fact that our, we have a purpose that is from God. And if you've not identified that this morning, if you're sitting in this room and you have not identified or you cannot articulate uh, to someone else, if someone were to say to you, what is God's purpose for you? And you cannot articulate that. I have some good news for you. God has a purpose that you should be able to accurately articulate and be actively involved in in the process of your life. God has a plan and a purpose for you, but I also want to let you know that the purpose and the plan of God does not unfold in your life absent your aggressive, active participation. There is a school of thought that says, well, God is in control. And I know that I can sit right here and he's going to get me there. That is absolutely incorrect. There are folks who say whenever everything goes wrong in the nation, God is in control. Oh, can I get up on this for a minute? God is in control to the extent that we submit to him and give him control. He gave us control and dominion in the earth. He said, you go forth and you take dominion and you take control. So unless you take control in a particular area, that area God is not in control. And if God's not in control and you've not taken control, then there is an area of your life that's out of control. I guess that's foundational to where we're going today because that's from the Holy Spirit. God is in control to the extent that we submit to him and allow him to be in control. And where we do not submit to him and allow his control, if things are out of control, do you know who is in control? Thank you for answering the question for me. I didn't want to go down that road. If you find in the area of your life strife and contention and frustration and and nothing will ever settle and nothing will ever fall into place, that is not an area where God is in control. Because God, the scripture says, is not the author of confusion. So if you are living in a place of confusion, God has not authored it. If God has not authored it, someone else did. Either you authored it through the, will, the willfulness of your own flesh or the enemy authored it for you because you did not take your authority, so he came and took his. That's deep, and that's not, that's not even in my notes. So either God authors it, you author it, or the enemy authors it. And we're, uh, we're very accustomed to, Lord, help me right now. I, I feel the Holy Spirit over this. We are very accustomed to authoring something and then saying the devil authored it. If we author something and it goes well, we'll say, well, praise God, God authored that. And if we, if we author something and it doesn't go well, we go, oh, man, the devil's been up all over me in that area. The whole time, we authored it out of our own soul, out of our own flesh, out of our own wants and our own desires. You know, you can author some things that will go pretty well. doesn't particularly mean God did it. I've authored some things in my life in the past that God did not author. And it took prayer and submission to him for him to bring it to my, to my attention so that it could fall out of my life. Even though it wasn't producing anything particularly bad at the time, it certainly wasn't producing anything good. 
It wasn't producing the level of abundance that his authorship will produce. He has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for you. And he wants you to discover what that is. And the other thing is that, that I feel challenged of the Holy Spirit to say because I'm talking to a room, room full of people at all different ages and all different uh, uh, walks of life and all different uh, experiences of life and all different uh, economic places in life and all, all different uh, kinds of backgrounds. No matter where you are, And what season of your life you are in, if you're breathing, God has a purpose that he wants to be lived out in you in this season. Oh, now, listen, all you got to do is look in the Old Testament and you will find some folks who God didn't hardly begin to even deal with until their hair was gray. So if your hair is gray or falling out, such as we discovered mine is last night. If, if your hair is gray, do not become Western in your thinking and th- say to yourself, oh, it's all good for me. It's over. I'm done. I'm going to relax. There was one guy in the Bible who said that it did not go well for him. You have a purpose that is from God. And as the seasons of life change, change, those purposes get adjusted. And we get discouraged because this next season doesn't look like the last season. And the things that are, that are going on right now don't seem as effective as maybe they were uh, in the years behind us. I don't know why I'm preaching to the seniors right now, but listen to me. You have a purpose that is from God, and you are powerful and mighty in God. And the generation that is behind you needs to see you continue to function passionately in the kingdom of God so they know how to go when they get there. Verse 1 and 2 of that passage said, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The calling to which you have been called. If this letter was written as a general address to the church in Ephesus, then it was a word to everyone in the church in Ephesus. Right? When they read this letter to the church, they read it to everybody in the house. So there was no one that was a part of the church to whom the letter did not apply. So when he says to them, walk worthy of the calling to which you are called, it makes the presumption that everyone in the house understood that they were called. It makes the presumption that everyone present understands that there is a purpose and a design for their life that God has for them. That he anointed them, that he chose them, He said to one of the prophets, I knew you in your mother's womb. I chose you from there. I picked you before. You look at the life of Samson. When when Samson was born, his parents said, we give him to God and he will be God's man. His parents chose for him his destiny. As so far as the anointing of the Lord went in his life. Parents, you got a big responsibility. Listen, grandparents, if you are raising your grandchildren or if you have influence over your grandchildren, do not despise this season. No one around them except you and their mom and daddy may hopefully are telling them that they're purposed of God. Their school is telling them there is no God. Their friends are telling them there's other gods. You're in their life to show them that they are purposed of God Almighty, that he created them, that he planned their way, and declaring over them the purposes of God and the plans of God and imparting to them the understanding of how to walk in the purposes and plans of God. It is your responsibility. Parents, it's your responsibility. Grandparents, it's your responsibility. Aunts and uncles, if you're believers and you have nieces and nephews that are not and you have influence in their life, it is your responsibility to point them to Jesus. 
Oh, hallelujah. They have a purpose that's from God. So the statement here presumes that everyone in the room or everyone hearing this would understand that there is a call and a purpose from God on their life. And then he begins to instruct them about how to move in that purpose. And the first thing he says is, with all humility. I don't particularly like that word. I'm going to tell you why. Because at any moment in my life, when I thought that I was doing anything good, now my parents were very good to me, and they, they taught the word of God, and they built us up as we're supposed to build one another up, and they strengthened us in the life of God and poured that into our lives. Not, not so much through preaching and Bible study around the family altar as much as in just living it and pointing us in that direction and requiring us to walk in that direction requiring us to walk in that direction. My father, as much as said, you will walk with God or I will come up beside your head and then you will walk with God. And then if you keep messing up, I'll get you walking with God and then I'll take you out. So you'll be there when I get there. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And that's just kind of the way we grew up. There was, there was no option. We love the Lord. We don't raise our children to decide on their own when they get there. We love the Lord. We're purpose of God. Those young people that are in this room, uh, junior high and high schoolers that are in this room, you need to listen to your pastor this morning. You are purpose of God. If no one has ever told you that, if everybody around you has always told you that you aren't going to accomplish much or that you don't have much potential, I want to tell you this morning that the word of God says that you're to walk worthy of the calling to which you are called. I'm telling you, you're called. You're purpose of God. You pursue anything else and your life will be less than it should be. Whatever else that you dream to do in your life, let it be around the purpose to which you are called. So he said, with humility, and I didn't like that. So every, every time that I thought that I was accomplishing anything good... My mother, maybe even more so than my father, was very capable of reminding me, you ain't all that, boy. Always returning me to the foundation. Always returning me to be grounded. I've told you this before. We'd go to camp, and the Spirit of the Lord would move, and I'd come home, and I'd, I, I'd just share with them everything that, that God had did and God had said and, and everything that had happened and all the messages that the preacher had preached and the, and the prayer services that we had had and, and how we prayed in the Spirit and how God moved. And it was a wonderful experience to have. And then my mom would say, that's wonderful. Now go get your clothes in the washing machine and get the garbage taken out and make your bed and put your stuff away back to being grounded back to submission back to service back to get your hands busy in the work of life and out of that you discover God has a purpose for me but always grounded always grounded so with humility if you have to say you're humble you're not. <laughs> there was this pastor, Schaefer, told a story. from He was from Oklahoma City, pastored a big church, or from Oklahoma somewhere, pastored a big church. You guys probably remember him. Years ago, he was on TV, uh, probably gone to be with the Lord by now, I would assume, or at least uh, uh, quite elderly. Uh, very successful, very well-known in his day. And he was preaching in a meeting that I was in, and he said uh, he was laughing at Pentecostal people because Pentecostal people in those days did some strange things and called it Jesus. Are you here? If you grew up where I grew up, you saw some stuff. And most of the things that people said that, that they said were Jesus were uh, mind, will, and emotions, flesh. 
God was patient with us because, man, we were freaky. But he said, I was listening to this man and I was watching him preach. And he said he was in this, in this church and he said there was this huge area rug around the altar. He said uh, it must have been uh, 15 or 18 feet across there. And he says this man come up and he was preaching on humility. And he said, I'm so, he, he said, we've got to walk in humility. And he said, I will humble myself before you. He said, I want to show you how humble I am. And he said he crawled over here and got on his hands and knees and started crawling under the carpet. And he said about two-thirds of the way through, he's showing that he could be humble in the presence of the people. And he said he didn't consider how long that carpet had been laying there and how much dirt had come down through it. And about two-thirds of the way through, he's choking to death, and they had to drag him out of there and call the paramedics because he couldn't breathe. If you have to say you're humble, you're probably not. That's pretty disgusting, huh? (laughs) He found out how good the janitors were doing. (laughs) Humility is not something we say or that we advertise. Humility is a manner of life. And he said that in order to walk in the calling uh, that we are called to, that we must walk first in humility. He put it right up front, and I think it was important that he put that up front because pride comes before a fall. And it's not the purpose of God that you fall. You get back up if you do. You just keep getting up. That's what the Bible says. Keep getting up. We humble ourselves through service. We humble ourselves through strengthening someone that's weaker than us. We humble ourselves through helping and being those joints that supply. I don't want to preach on that, but we humble ourselves through service. I was praying about this particular, these particular series of teaching. I realized that there's something that is so impressing on my spirit as we move forward in the next year. God desires a church that is active in the kingdom. We are to be a people that are activated in the kingdom we're to have our hands about the father's business we're we're to be about the business of the kingdom and the and the work of his church in the earth and i told the lord i said lord i don't i don't want a passive church i don't want a passive group of folks who are sitting who, who sit with their hands in their laps and go well let's see what god will do well, all the time, God is looking at us saying, look what I've laid in their life. Look at the anointing and the gifting that I've put on them. Let's see what they'll do with it. See, that's what God is saying. Let's see how close to their potential they'll reach. A very wise person said to my wife before, I even met her, and she shared this with me, and it's been part of the, the value system with which we've raised our children. Set the standard high. Set the standard high. He said, because if you set the standard up here, they may not get there, but they'll get closer. If you set the standard down here, and they only get to here, Set the, raise, raise up a standard. Let's raise a standard in our own life. Let's set the standard high. The Holy Spirit has set for you a high standard. He believes that you can reach that standard. He believes that you can accomplish far more than you and I believe that we can accomplish. So he says with humility. Then he says with gentleness. Then he says with patience, bearing one another's burdens. With patience, bearing one another in love. Loving one another. The Bible says that faith works by love. Very simple statement, but oh, so deep. 
Without faith, it's impossible to please God, and faith can't work by love. Love is the engine of faith. And so for you to move in faith toward God and for you to move in faith with one another, love has to be the driving force. The reason that we can evangelize in the earth, the reason that we share Jesus, the reason that we tell others about him, the reason that we preach the gospel, the reason that we do the things that we do are all because of love. If we see the world through the eyes that Jesus was seeing the world when he hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. We would recognize he understood that without the shedding of blood, without what was taking place right in that moment, there was no remission of sin. There was no potential to come into the presence of God. There was no access to the throne room without that event. And people were lost without God unless that took place. And now we understand that unless receiving Jesus and repenting and coming to him takes place, people are still lost without God, even after that great sacrifice. And if we see through the eyes of love and if we're motivated by love, then, then we will bring people to the kingdom of God. We will be activated in the kingdom as evangelists, as people who reach out. The day may come... The day may come, maybe not in my generation, but maybe in yours, maybe not in my generation, but maybe in the, in the generation of your grandchildren, the day may come when preaching Jesus and inviting others to know him is against the law. It is in other countries. There are countries where it's against the law to preach the gospel. Nevertheless, we preach because of, because of love. The motivation here is love, right? Amen. The motivation is love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but love works best in a spirit of unity. And he didn't just say in unity. Unity is just agreement. Unity, uh, if we all agree on something, then we're pretty much in unity on that issue, right? But that's not what it's about because he didn't say in unity just with one another. He said in unity with the Spirit. The reason that the ministry of Christ was successful in the earth, the reason that Jesus was successful, he said, I am in agreement with my daddy. I go where he goes. I do what he's telling me to do. I say what he's telling me to say. And that's why I see signs following in my ministry. That's why you see effectiveness in my ministry. He's explaining to them. So if you want an effective move of God in your life, then what do you do? You go where he goes. You do what he's doing. You say what he says. Well, in order to do that, we have to be able to hear his voice. Wow, that's deep, huh? You mean God will talk to me? Oh, yes, yes. So he says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. That's a different unity than just agreeing together. In the bond of peace. How do you move forward in your in your? ministry life in your anointing and in your purpose from God in peace well we've pretty much discovered that if we're making a decision and there's turmoil around it stop I trust the Holy Spirit enough I wish I had trusted him the way that I trust him now when I was younger that's one of those if I knew then what I know now there's a lot of decisions we would have made differently through the years because the Holy Spirit had this flag up in our face and he's going, no! And we're going, yes, but I, I want this. And then we get the results and we go, man, the devil must be doing something horrible. No, you just made a bad decision. You just decided to ignore the red flag from the Holy Spirit. So listen to this. Let's, let's not hang up here, but follow peace. So he says in verse 4, there is 
one body, one spirit, just as, now listen to, the, listen to this terminology, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. That's not Richard's hope. We were in prayer Friday night, and Hope and Richard walked in, and I said, Richard is never without hope. But that's not what the scripture's talking about. There is a hope. There is a hope that is associated with your assignment and your purpose from God. And when you live outside your assignment and you live outside your purpose, you live outside your hope. Are you following that? There is a hope that is assigned to the purpose for which you are designed. And if you live outside the purpose for which you are designed, you will live in at least some level of hopelessness apart from your purpose. You will live in some area of hopelessness. If you are living in a situation right now, this may be a key for you, if you can identify that you are living in long seasons of hopelessness, you are not connected to your purpose. You may be connected to your want to, but you're not connected to your purpose, at least not significantly, consistently connected. It has been a great place of peace in my life for me to be able to say almost at all times, certainly in the last 20 years, that we've been able to look at each other and say, we are exactly where we're supposed to be. We are doing exactly what we are supposed to be doing. We are living exactly where we're supposed to be living. We are planted exactly where we're supposed to be planted, and we are accomplishing exactly what we were designed to accomplish. There is a great hope associated with being able to say that. And I have discovered that most people are not able to say, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing exactly what God has called me to do and assigned me and gifted me and equipped me to do. Or else I'm preparing and I'm on my way to it. If you're preparing and you're on your way to it, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Don't get frustrated with that season. We had a conversation last night, and it really wasn't on this subject, but it, it bears repeating right here. Um, we, we reminded ourselves that Jesus uh, was born and lived for 30 years. Prepared for over 30 years for three and a half years of effectiveness. Listen, don't sell out preparation. You discover the purpose for which God has designed you. When you discover the gifts and the callings that are in your life, don't run ahead of preparation. Because you will pick yourself up over and over and over again. Jesus invested the majority of his life to be prepared for three and a half years of ministry. And it is better if you prepare for 30 years and live three and a half years of effective ministry than if you minister for 30 years ineffectively and fail to be prepared. I just let the Holy Spirit, let that statement wait right in there. We get extremely discontented in seasons of preparedness. Extremely discontented with the effort that it takes. I was listening to Bishop 
Tony Miller one time used to listen to his teaching all the time, and he was talking about this subject of preparedness. And he said he would say to college students who were in college and who were going through that preparedness season for the vocation that they felt that God had called them to, and they were preparing, and their friends had come out of high school, and they'd go get a $9, $10, $11 an hour job, and they'd be out there renting their own apartment, and they'd be out there buying a, a car, and they'd be running up bills, and, and, and it looked like they were flourishing way ahead of the individual that was giving themselves to seasons of preparedness. But when the preparedness was complete and they had received that, uh, that uh, recognition and that accomplishment that they had done what they needed to do to be prepared for their field or for their vocation, then whenever God set them in that vocation and, the, and God began to bless them there, they shot way out ahead of their friends because they were able to delay their gratification for their season of preparing. That's what being together as a body of believers is about, is that God is building in us and preparing in us for the seasons that are ahead of us. He has you activated in the season you're in, preparing you for the season that is ahead of you. There's never a time when there shouldn't be some level of activation. There's always service, always places to put our hand to the plow. But in those seasons of service, they are seasons of preparedness. God wants to prepare you well for the season that is ahead of you. In Christ, the season that is ahead of you is always better and more fruitful than the season that's behind you. That doesn't mean that some seasons aren't harder than others. Don't misunderstand when you're going through a season and time that is difficult. Don't just assume because it's difficult that it's not from God. That's a big mistake that believers make. We think when we're going through something hard, this could not possibly be from God. Well, some of the hardest things my, my parents ever required of me or, or ever expected of me, some of the things that they expected of me were very hard and very difficult and very demanding. But they were preparing me for a world that I had to live in. And for a walk that I had to walk. And sometimes the Lord prepares us during the hardest seasons of our life. We, we always look back as a family to about three years in the desert. And it was a very, very hard season. Just personally and emotionally. It was very lonely, very dry. Desert, dry, get it? It was that way, not just in the natural. It was a very dry season. A very hard place. And we look back to the strength that was built into our life in that season. And we recognize that God did something in that season that prepared us well for the seasons that were ahead. That made us not run. I know how to respond to God in the dry season now. I know how to respond to him when things are hard. So you are called with a hope. You are called with a hope. There is a hope that is associated with the purpose to which God has called you. And then um, in verse 7, he said, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Your, Lord help us, I'm not getting through this quite as fast as I'd like to. Your purpose has a measure to it. The purpose and the gifting and the assignment that you have has a measure. The Bible says that God dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. God moves in measures. This is, this is the way God moves. The Bible says uh, in, in, uh, the, in spiritual assignments, when you're talking about leaders in particular, that there are captains of 10, captains of 100, captains of 1,000. There are people who are graced for particular things. You are graced for the particular assignment to which God has called you in your measure. This is why the word tells us, oh, listen to this. I'll give you some wisdom. This is why the word tells us, do not compare yourself among yourselves. 
You're not supposed to compare yourself to others. It is, it is actually incorrect, disobedient to the word of God for you to compare yourself to others. You do not compare yourself among yourselves. If you compare yourself among yourselves, you start wishing you had what somebody else had. Uh-uh. I don't want to walk in your shoes. And, and please don't want to walk in mine. You can look on the outside looking in at people's lives and it may look like they have it all together and everything is wonderful. But when you go home and shut the door and live in their house, you may not want to live in that environment. We do not compare ourselves among ourselves. We compare ourselves to the word of God and, and to the example of Jesus and we find out where we, where we land as we measure. God has given you a measure associated with your gift, meaning that your gift will make room for you and you need to move into your gift at the measure or at the ability to which he has given you to move in it. That's why I, I'm way past, I, I never uh, get in a group of, you know, you, years ago, I used to watch this. I was, I was raised in denominational circles in particular, and you'd get around preachers, and they'd all start comparing how big, how much attendance they had at church, how, how many kids were in their children's ministry, how, how many rooms they had in their building, how much money they had in their account, and how much this and that, and they're in there. Uh-uh. We don't look at those things to measure success. Because it may very well be that if God's called you to lead a group of people and you're a captain of, uh, of uh, 50, who you're hitting about 53, you're outside your measure. God graces you within your measure, and there's a purpose for which you exist within that measure to accomplish the purposes of God for that, for that measure. So you don't get to look at yourself and go, oh, I ought to be further than I am. Because the enemy wants you to have those conversations with yourself. He wants you to tear you down. Well, I've been working for the last 30 years, and all I've been able to do is buy this little old house, and look at those folks over there that are living on the hill, and they got the balcony that overlooks the valley. That ought to be me. It ain't your measure, honey. Rejoice in your measure. Don't tear yourself up because you didn't accomplish someone else's measure. Rejoice in the measure that God created for you. Lord, help me. So whenever somebody asks, how's church doing? Man, we're meeting our measure. We're doing what God called us to do. We're busy at it. We are discipling people. We are leading people to Jesus. We are laying hands on the sick, and they are recovering. We are prophesying our brains out. We're telling people about Jesus, and we're declaring good things in their life. We are discipling people that will let us disciple them. If they won't let us disciple them, we'll even beg them. How many times, Pam, have you dragged someone into Timothy and it took them about three weeks before they got on board? Come and follow me or I will drag you to Jesus. (laughs) We're doing what God has called us to do. Pam's got so excited about dragging people to Jesus, she invites them to go through Timothy when they've not met Jesus yet. She figures by the time they get to baptism and speaking in tongues, she's got them hooked. She'll lead them to Jesus, right? That's how you do that. We walk in our measure, and we don't get discouraged with our measure. Don't live your life going, oh, I wish there was more uh, for me than this. I should have been further than this. That is a road that is not going to end with any kind of fruit. We've determined that we're going to be the best that we can be and that we're going to be as anointed as we can possibly be and we're going to speak the truth in love and we're going to build one another up and we're going to just see how much, but the fruit belongs to the Lord. We're going to water, we're going to sow seed, we're going to bless, we're going to, uh, we're going to lift one another up, but the fruit's up to him. We're just going to make sure we till our field.
I don't want somebody else's part. Somebody said, oh, you need this program that's over at this church. I'm like, go to that church then, honey. Go on. Go right over there. If you're on board with their vision, there's where you belong. But if you can get on board with telling people about Jesus and with sharing the love of Jesus and with building one another up and with discipling one another and with laying hands on the sick and they recover and with hearing from God by the Spirit of God and declaring the Word of God in our generation, then you right where you belong. Because that's what people who are full of living water do. Hmm. Tell me, hurry up. Come on, tell me, hurry up. Grace was given by Christ in corresponding measure to your assignment. There's a great many ministries in the earth that have failed because they got past the grace of their assignment. I'm going to give you some examples. Let me give you an example right now. And I love these folks. Listen, I love God TV. They are preaching the word in the earth. But they ha- that ministry has grown so large that the majority of their time has to be spent raising funds to keep the machine running. Stepped past the grace. And now it becomes about the dollar, not the king. And when you get past your grace, you will find, here's, here's how you know if you get past your grace. This is how I know if I get past my grace. If I get past my grace in my assignment, then I spend 90% of my time doing things that are outside my grace to keep the machine alive. And I start serving the, gro- the machine instead of the king. And if you find that, that in your, the purpose that is from God, in, in your workplace and in your life, if you find that you serve the machine of your life, man, there's some wisdom there for somebody this morning. If you find that you are serving the machine of your life and the majority of your time is spent serving the machine of your life rather than serving the King of kings and Lord of lords, You're outside the realm of your grace somewhere. Now, that doesn't mean just throw everything to the wind and cast it all down and tear your life apart. That's not what I'm saying. You go to the Lord, you hear by the Spirit, and you make some adjustments. If your life is so demanding of you that you have no time to be in the presence of the Lord, you're doing good stuff, but you're not doing God stuff. You are poor when, when it becomes your energy and not the energy of the Spirit. The Bible says, let's just finish up with some wisdom here. The Bible says there is a rest for the people of God. Enter his rest. That's not for later. You know, I've heard people read that at a funeral. That is the silliest thing. Oh, just enter into his rest. Well, they're dead. Of course they've entered his final rest. That's not what that means. He spoke that to living, breathing people. There is a rest for the people of God. You enter his rest. You enter his rest when you enter relationship with him that establishes you in your purpose. And did you know that your purpose does not make you tired and weary? There's this thing they call in in ministry terms, they call it burnout. And the end, they'll talk about pastors that have burnt out. Those pastors have burnt out when they've given more time to the machine of their ministry than they've given to the secret place. And they've put their energy into, their, in, into the work of the stuff that they're doing rather than putting their energy into the presence of the Lord and resting in Him. They're trying to make something happen instead of letting it come to place of full fruitfulness. If in your life you are, you are living your life trying to make something happen, you're outside your grace. Get back in your grace. You'll find rest. And when you're giving your hands to your purpose, that, that purpose will not make you weary. It'll make you, it, you listen, we all get physically tired. Don't, when, when Benjamin and I got on a plane and we flew 13 hours, more than that, 20 hours to get to Estonia, several stops and all that kind of stuff. You're tired, but a grace hits you for the work that's ahead of you. 
you're not spiritually tired. You are strengthened for the cause. There is a strength from God, a rest. If you are spiritually tired, you have not been to the well. You have not been sitting at his feet. You are giving yourself your time and your energy to things that do not belong to you. Trying to make something happen. We don't try to make something happen. We let it happen in his presence. We let it happen. That doesn't mean you sit passively by. Please don't misunderstand me. I don't want you to think that. You give yourself to his presence and to his purposes. Then, let's see, verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint to which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The assignment that you have from God corresponds to your placement in the body of Christ. You, you, do, not, you do not essentially or effectively have one without the other. You don't get to fulfill the purpose of God for your life, absent connectedness to the body of Christ. And you cannot be appropriately connected to the body of Christ uh, and, and, and only be doing that and not pursuing the individual purpose and design of God for you. You can only work po- properly in your assignment within the body in the discovery of who God designed you to be and what he's deposited in you. All of this happens, the majority of it happens, with your Bible open on your lap, with a notebook by your side, in the secret place of the Most High. And in the processes of discipleship and learning, discovering the purpose that God has designed for you. God is speaking that word to us. Clearly, last Sunday when Larry talked to us about how God spoke to him, I had, a, I had a, a moment in God. I'm like, wow, I didn't tell him. I didn't tell him we've been talking about purpose. I didn't tell him how God was dealing with us. And then he gets up and says, let me talk to you about my purpose, how I arrived at it. God is talking to you. He's revisiting. Maybe you're in a new season of life. Maybe you're in a new day where you need to rediscover the design and the deposit of God that is in you so that you can effectively give yourself to a place of rest in his presence and effectiveness in the kingdom of God and in the earth and in the lives of the families, the people in the family around you.